Welcome, Richard. And uh, I'll ask if you can speak very loudly because you're sounding right. quiet. Okay, how about now? That's a little better. And I'll ask if you would be kind enough to give us your full name for the record, spelling your first and last name. Sure. My full name is Richard Lazat, R-I-C-H-A-R-D-L-I-Z-O-T-T-E. And Mr. Lazat, do you promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? In the name of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I affirm to tell the truth. Thank you. Now, you worked for your whole career as a paramedic, and now you're retired. That's true. And you're here to tell us the story about your older brother, Jerry. That's true. So can you tell us about um, Jerry, and we'll just maybe back up to when COVID started, hit in March of 2020? Sure. Um, I can tell you a brief history of, of his health prior to his vaccinations. Um, he was 85 years old and very vibrant. In fact, you'd never guess he was 85. Um, he exercised every day. He had a stationary bike in his uh, living room. He watched sports while he did that 45 minutes every day. He went to the coffee shop uh, five days minimum, five days a week, um, sometimes six and seven. Um, he met all his peers, his coffee buddies there. They chit-chatted. Um, he was heavy into bluegrass music, loved sports, um, and he lived a pretty vibrant life. Was he on any medications? Uh, he was briefly on a blood pressure medication in 2017, uh, and then his blood pressure was under control mostly through exercise and diet, and uh, no, he was on no medication. Okay, so when COVID hit, he's on, not on any medications. Is he seeing his doctor for any reason at that time? Uh, no. In fact, he didn't like going to see doctors. So he, uh, uh, you, you can probably count the number of medications that man had on your two hands uh, in his entire life. Okay. So what happened as COVID went on? Well, uh, the first vaccine was in February uh, the 27th of 2021. And uh, very shortly after that vaccine, uh, he lost his taste, which was something very critical to him because he loved to eat. And um, he lost his taste and his smell as well, but he never really talked about his smell so much, but his taste, of course, was, that was very important to him, all his coffee buddies and himself. I think they went to every restaurant in Chatham, Richtown, Blenheim, Wallsburg. Uh, they ate out a lot. Plus he loved my wife's home cooking. So the taste thing was a real concern for him. That was the, the biggest change after the vac vaccine number one. And how significant was that, the, the change? Like I think you gave an example of salt and sugar. Yeah, we, we tested him. Uh, this was probably a few months after, after his vaccine. We tested him and he could not tell a difference between salt and sugar. So that, that was affirmed to us that he was uh, really accurate in not being able to taste. Okay, and what happened uh, with the second shot? And well, I'll just ask, shot. do you recall what uh, brand of vaccine it was? Yes, it was Pfizer. And were all the shots Pfizer? Yes. So what happened with the second shot? Do you recall when that was? Yes, vaccine number two was June 16th of 2021. Um, and uh, shortly after, after getting that, we noticed, and it was a slow progression, but definitely a progression, of his cognitive functions started being effective. It, he started, his memory wasn't as good. Um, he 
showed a little more disinterest in things. Now, can I just stop you about his memory? When you say slow progression, are we measuring in months? Are we measuring in weeks? I would say after his shot, we probably noticed it about a month later, his first sign of some cognitive function delay, and then it just progressively got worse. Okay, and so describe that. Give us some details about that. Well, he was always pretty sharp when it came to sports and remembering records and statistics and stuff like that, and he began just not remembering those things. And events even in our own family life, he just started not remembering those things. And yeah, he just, that was a big thing for him. And even his bluegrass music, which was his entire life, he just started not remembering the bluegrass festivals and concerts that he went to in Kentucky and Tennessee and all through southwestern Ontario. And like I said, this was a progressive thing. We noticed it about a month into his second vaccine, and then it just continually got a little worse as time went by. Did anything happen to his appetite? Well, of course. When he couldn't taste anything, I remember we used to have him over quite often for supper, and he used to always comment on my wife's cooking. He didn't comment anymore because he couldn't taste the stuff. And he stopped going to restaurants because it's, why would I spend money? Everything tastes the same anyways. So right away, his socialization started dropping right then and there, going to restaurants less, and even started going to the coffee shop less, which was a real indication to us that something's not right. What about his mental state, his mental health? His mental health, he was so fear-mongered by COVID. That was the thing that he was so fear-mongered that that became his whole life. And I know he and a lot of his peers, they practically locked themselves in their homes and apartments, ordering food out. They were so fearful of this. And my brother slowly stopped watching as much sports and concentrated more on CNN, CBC, CTV, and just COVID-related. And he became so fixated on that and, you know, constantly washing his hands. And he just wore a mask even to leave his apartment to go down the hall to put his garbage away. He put his mask on, nobody around. So he was really fearful of COVID. Now, do you remember when he had his third shot? Yes, his third shot was December 1st of 2021. And what happened after that? There was a sharp decline in his health after that. We noticed that his legs started swelling, total apathy. He was energyless. He had abdominal discomfort. His abdomen actually became distended. We kept telling him he should see the doctor, but he didn't want to see the doctor. But it got so bad that he agreed to go. 
And I took him on December the 21st to see his family doctor. What about his color? Yeah, his color was very pale, very pale. Uh, and he had lost weight um, prior to the distended stomach, because you couldn't tell he lost weight when the stomach was distended. But prior to that, uh, he started losing weight. That, that occurred before the third vaccine. He actually started losing weight. Um, and then after the third, um, he, he was so pale, it was, it was really quite awful. Um, and, and then, of course, he started having swelling in his legs and his distended stomach. So you took him to a doctor? His family doctor, yes. And what happened? Well, I, I, I regret this. I, I went to all his appointments for the last years, even his orth orthopedic surgeon, he had a knee surgery in 2016. And I, I went to all, this particular one I did not go in. Um, uh, I was having some little problems myself with shortness of breath. They, they insisted I wear a mask. I wasn't wearing a mask. So I told my brother, you're going to be okay to go in by yourself. And he said, sure. Um, and he wasn't, he wasn't looking very good then. So he went and he came back after the appointment and, uh, the doctor had given him a over the counter medication for cramps because he was complaining of cramps for his stomach. And he told me, he says, ah, he said, I'm good to go. He said, I'll see you in a year. Now I think, he probably misunderstood the doctor because this was December. And I think the doctor probably meant, I'll see you in, in the new year. But he took it as, so, I'll see you in a year. And uh, he, he was so disappointed. Uh, that he said, that's it. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not seeing this guy anymore. Um, so that's, that's what happened there. So what happened after the, the doctor's office? What did you observe with your brother's condition? Well, man, he started declining really quickly, and uh, he didn't want to see his family doctor. He didn't want to go to the hospital. So I thought to myself, listen, you saw a cardiologist a number of years ago for a brief period of hypertension, um, and he saw him once a year just as a checkup, and it all was flying colors, no problem. I said, what if I call him up and I kind of make it – I." It wasn't a fib, but I kind of tried to make it look like it was a heart problem with the swelling of the legs. I kind of suggested maybe CHF, congestive heart failure. So as soon as I mentioned that, the secretary says, yeah, we better, you better so, bring him in. And I'm just going to back you up because you said he sure. continued to decline. Can you give us some specifics, perhaps about his belly and his legs, for example? Yeah, for sure. Um, his legs kept, kept swelling. The stented stomach kept increasing. Uh, severe constipation. Um, he was had z almost zero appetite. He forced himself to eat. In fact, we almost forced him to eat something. Um, so and more pale, became a little bit more diaphoretic uh, at sweating. Um, yeah, that's What's, how he declined. Uh, can you tell me about the fluid in his legs and and what was happening there? Well, it was just a buildup of fluid. <clears throat> there was just a buildup of fluid. And um, prior to us taking him to the cardiologist, um, there was even some weeping. Uh, we noticed <clears throat> in his bed there was some wetness. <laughs> we, we thought he had uh, voided himself and urinated. And he said, no, no, no. He says, I'm fine. He was dry there. So we noticed that there was some weeping from, from the skin of his legs. Um, 
so that that was really triggering us that he didn't want to see his family doctor so let's see if we can see the, the cardiologist and maybe you know through him we can get a little bit better result so what happened at the cardiologists well we brought him to the cardiologist and unfortunately um, he didn't show up that day for whatever reason he probably had a legitimate reason and we saw a nursing practitioner um, and she was very good uh, she took one look at my brother and said oh he's he's in he's in big trouble uh, so she ordered some Lasix right away, fluid pill, 80 milligrams a day. And uh, she ordered uh, an ultrasound of the abdomen and an x-ray. Um, and she said, yeah, your brother's in deep trouble. Um, so we couldn't get it done the next day. It was the second day is when we took him in. It was a Friday, I remember that. And uh, we took him in to get the x-ray and the ultrasound. And that took a whole day to get that done. We brought him home, we fed him supper. He lives in Chatham. We came back home to Wallsburg. And by the time we got home, uh, there was a message from the cardiologist, not from the nursing practitioner, but from the cardiologist who had seen the report and said, I've got to see your brother right away. I have him in Monday morning. Um, so then we brought him in Monday morning and actually saw uh, the cardiologist. <clears throat> So you wonder what happened then? Yeah, and you can take your time. I appreciate this is difficult. Okay, no problem. So on that Monday morning, um, we uh, we brought him in. Uh, it was January the 17th, and uh, the cardiologist was quite shocked because he hadn't seen her for a while, um, how bad he really was. Um, by that time, uh, we had we had brought in a wheeled um, walker, and um, so he 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 brought that in, and the doctor told him he had multiple lesions on the liver, and probably some some kidney involvement. Um, so my brother then asked him, "Is it cancer?" And uh, the doctor kind of hesitated, kind of shrugged his shoulder a bit, and says, "What kind of?" And uh, so my brother took that as. He's got cancer. And uh, so he I remember telling him telling the cardiologist why it's happened so fast. And the cardiologist then said to us, I really shouldn't be involved in this. I'm a cardiologist. I shouldn't be really doing this, that perhaps this would be better done to your family doctor. However, he says, I've seen Jerry for a number of years and I just can't believe the change in him. So he says, I'll, I'll order some home care for him. In the meantime, I will try and contact a colleague of mine in London who's a specialist. So it might take me a while to get a hold of him. And I'll let you know how I make out. So we left. We brought him home. The very next day, home care called. And they said, we'll send someone to assess you on February the 10th which was 23 days after the doctor had asked for home care. So we knew that he's probably not even going to make it to February 10th, in which he didn't. He passed away February 4th. So my wife and I took sole responsibility for his home care, where we um, looked after him food-wise, 
personal hygiene wise. <clears throat> and um, we uh, got to the point <clears throat> where um, we couldn't even manage him. He still didn't want to go to the hospital. He still didn't want to see his family doctor. So uh, my wife was looking after him in the bathroom and I thought, well, let's, let's try something. So I, I called his family doctor up and uh, the Lord was really good because I actually got to talk to him. And I said to the doctor, would you mind talking to my brother? Because he's not listening to us. So we brought the phone in the bathroom and, uh, he talked to the doctor and the doctor said, Jerry, says, I, I want you to go to Emerge. And he says, we'll make arrangements and we'll have you admitted. So that was enough to convince my brother to go. Uh, so we had to call an ambulance for him. And uh, we brought him to Emerge. And uh, I was in Emerge with him for eight to nine hours. And uh, they did all kinds of tests, and they kept saying they were going to admit him, but they didn't. And finally, it was approaching midnight, and uh, they said, well, you might as well go home. Uh, when we get a room for him, we'll let you know. So the next morning, uh, it was mid-morning, probably 10-ish. Uh, we called, and he was still in the emerge. And they hadn't found a room for him yet. So they said, as soon as we get a room, we'll call you. Well, by mid-afternoon, there's still no call. So we phoned Emerge, and that's when they said, oh, yeah, they, they found a room for him up on the fourth floor. And I said, okay, I'll, 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 uh, I'll be up to see him. And that's when they told me, no, you can't. I said, what, what do you mean you, I can't? And they said, well, it's COVID protocol for this hospital. Had, had, you not, had you not been with him in emergency just for like eight, nine hours? That's right. That's right, I was. So when they told me that, I, I really couldn't believe what I was hearing. Um, they said, no, it's our hospital COVID protocol. I said, is it because I'm not vaccinated? No, 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 nothing to do with that. They said, vaccinated, unvaccinated, nobody's coming into the hospital. So I said, well, is there a way I can talk to him? And they said, oh, yeah, we can, we can try to arrange that. But that day was far spent. Um, so it was the next day um that we talked to the staff and the staff the first thing they said to us was your brother's giving us a hard time first of all this has never been his nature now i know he's very personal and perhaps he didn't like the fact that somebody was giving him a bed bath or whatever uh, but they said he's giving us a hard time and that's when i said well my wife and i are healthcare professionals i said let us come in and uh we'll gown up we'll mask we'll do whatever we have to do and we can settle them down and, and give you a hand. No, protocol for the hospital is you cannot come into the hospital. So I said, well, I'm gonna have to talk to the administrator. And I tried to call the administrator, but they referred me to a patient liaison person. And she was very nice, very kind, very polite, but she, in no uncertain terms, said, I'm sorry, you cannot come in to see your brother. And, uh, they, they tried to connect. They said, well, maybe we can connect with Skype. And every time we tried to do the Skype, it never worked. So then we tried talking to him on the phone. And by that time, he had declined so much, he couldn't hear us. He was only giving me one, one word answers to any of my questions. We tried to tell him that we're working behind the scenes so that we could go <clears throat> and be with him. 
And um, it went on like that for seven days <clears throat> until we got a phone call <clears throat> on the 31st saying that they had moved them to palliative care and that we could come up to see them, but we would both, my wife and I both have to have a COVID test, a negative test. So the very next day, we, I went to get my COVID test. My wife couldn't get hers for the day after. As soon as I had the negative test, I went up to see him. <clears throat> I was quite shocked that he was completely unresponsive. And um, <clears throat> he never spoke another syllable till his death. <clears throat> so for the next two or three days, <clears throat> my wife and I spent all our time there. We prayed with him. We read scripture to him. We sang hymns to him. We knew that hearing was one of the last senses to go. So we don't know what he was able to take in. But we never heard another word from him. I was both his power of attorney for health and his executor of his will. I wanted to know if there was any last wishes. We never got to do that. <clears throat> well, Mr. Lazada, we thank you for sharing that story, and I'll just ask if the commissioners have any questions of you. And and there are no questions. Um, is there any last thing that that you'd like to share with us? Yes, I, I can tell you, as a paramedic, and my wife's an RN, emergency nurse, both retired now, there is never a reason for a family member not to be with a dying family member. None. Zero. There's isolation attire that could be used. There's never a reason for this. Ever. I've, I've dealt with infectious patients throughout my career. TB patients, HIV, AIDS patients. Um, bacterial and viral meningitis, MRSA. There is never a reason why somebody who is properly attired in isolation equipment, isolation attire, they can't be with their dying loved one. Never. Never. So this, this was beyond all comprehension for me. I could not understand this at all. If they would have asked me to wear a hazmat suit, to be with my brother, I would have wore one. Whatever it takes. It, to, to me, this is next to criminal. And uh, if something like this ever happens again, something has to be done so that my brother never saw a familiar face for eight days until he became unresponsive. That's all. Thank you. On behalf of Citizens Inquiry, I'd like to thank you for sharing your testimony, and I'm sorry that it was difficult, but we definitely appreciate you sharing your brother's story. Thank you, Sean.